Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we demystify digital marketing and help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. We'll cover the right plan to get your amazing business growing online, along with tips and tricks from our upcoming playbook, as well as insights from successful people in the industry. If you're in a B2B business and would like to see your marketing work for you, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, with the right plan, anyone can grow their business online. G'day, listeners. Welcome back to the B2B playbook podcast. Kev, how you going, mate? Oh, another week, George. Another week. Very exciting. And what did you do this weekend? Well, I'm actually the one in the wars this weekend. I know we've had you with your sore ears the last couple of last couple of weeks. Now, I've actually jarred my hand. It was at a one of the first picnics that we're legally allowed to do. And um, I think just a few too many beers were had. And then we had just a bit too much confidence throwing the Frisbee around, throwing the footy around. And um, yeah, woke up with a very sore hand the next morning. Right, just a bit of context, listeners. Most of you will be from Sydney. For those who aren't, here in Sydney, we're just in the middle of uh, one of our strictest lockdowns, this pandemic. And we are now allowed to have picnics of up to five people outside. <laughs> yeah, but even in, um, even in pre-lockdown scenarios or post, I just don't get invited to many picnics, really. So No, they're not that common anymore. No, but they're just not. It only takes a pandemic to bring them back into fashion. Well, I know. I was wondering if like picnic baskets have just been selling out. I saw that there was a, a new business in the States that's really kicking off. These two girls do really fancy picnics. What do you mean? Like they, they put them on four people and do the food? Yeah, they and... just go go ahead, find a spot for you and uh, set up a really fancy picnic. That's pretty good. What would you pay? Are you Actually, you wouldn't pay someone to do that for you, would you? You would never, ever. No. I do <laughs> <my> picnics to <laughs> begin with, George. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that the reason that this idea resonated with you is because you actually hated it and you thought how much you wouldn't like this. Oh, I'm not that pessimistic, George, despite <laughs> how I sound and act. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it was just an ingenious <clears throat> way uh, to to make some money, I think. So. Yeah. All right. Well, you thought 
You thought it was cool, but perhaps you weren't a dream customer of theirs, Kevin, because no. it's just not in your interests. And does that segue us into today's topic, Kevin? I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think um, it's probably worth just saying that last, well, the last couple of weeks, we've spoken about why our listeners in the B2B world need to define their dream customers. And we spoke about really the core of that is using the 80-20 rule to do that. So find the 20% of your customer base that's driving the most profit for your business and focus on them. And that was a great reason to focus on your dream customers. And then we showed you how to then actually do that and document it with a dream customer avatar. So we've started a lot of the prep work the last couple of weeks. And Kev, this week we want to take it one step further And we want to go, okay, we've identified our dream customer base. Now, how can we get inside of their heads so when we speak to our dream customers, they're going to listen to us? Yes, it's all about getting inside the heads of your dream customers. And in case you were wondering, listeners, this is still stage one of five in our five Bs. So this is be ready. And this is the part around dream customers. So George, I think there's two important concepts as we see it in this section of getting inside the head of your dream customers. Can you take us through them? Yeah, the two concepts that I really like and full disclosure, I didn't make these up. I think our listeners will realize that most of what we do is we're not really making anything up. We're going to the leading experts, getting the best of what they have, and we're making it actionable for our listeners. And these two concepts that I have resonated most with me and ones that I found the most useful for understanding how to get in your dream customer's head is first understanding that essentially there are three core markets or desires that any human has. And those three core markets or desires is when people make a decision, they're either trying to look for an improvement in health, like how healthy they are, their wealth, or relationships. Okay, cool. So that's concept one, that there are three core markets or human wants or needs. That's health, wealth, and relationships. What's concept two, George? So we've got that first part, we know the desire, then we need to get into their heads and see, well, what are they thinking? The way to help get inside people's heads is realizing that when people make a decision, it's either to move away from pain or towards pleasure. Oh, that's a very interesting way to look at it. Away from pain and towards pleasure. Nice one. Let's get into the details, George. Concept one, three core markets. Yeah, so these two concepts, the first one, or I guess both of them are from a guy called Russell Brunson, who we've spoken about before. And the first concept about how there are the three core markets of human desires. A person will buy your product if it helps them gain an improvement in one of the re- those three core markets or desires. And again, they are an improvement in health, wealth, or relationships. Now, our listeners out there might have heard people um, and other marketers talk about when you're selling something, sell someone a benefit, not the feature. Do you know what I mean by that, Kev? So do you mean selling benefits like selling the the positive emotions that come with that product and less to do about all the great uh, nitty-gritty technical aspects of that product or service? Yeah, exactly. Like an antivirus system isn't selling antivirus software, right? They're actually selling peace of mind because that's ultimately Mm. what people want, isn't it? That's true. Okay, that's an interesting example. Let's kick it off with a few more examples about how exactly each of these core desires come to light. Yeah, let's start with health. So again, health is a core desire people have. They want to always improve their health. 
Now let's look at how a B2B company could use that core desire to help sell a benefit of their product. Now, the first example I want to start with is LastPass. Kev, do you know what LastPass are? I sure do. We use it all the time here at the B2B Playbook. Yeah, you you love it. Look, we store all our passwords nice and securely with LastPass. Listeners, LastPass is a password management tool that securely allows businesses to share passwords across their company. So it removes the hassle, I guess, of keeping passwords in spreadsheets and opens yourself up to data breaches and that kind of thing. That's really true, George. I was. Uh, I remember when you first set it up for us, I was a bit hesitant myself. Uh, whether it was secure to use, but I guess they really delivered on the promise of that peace of mind play in the communications as well as the service that they delivered for us. Yeah, absolutely. So you think about it, you go, well, which core desire within us, Kevin, is LastPass appealing to? Is it relationships? Are we getting an improvement in our relationships by using LastPass? Uh, I mean, not really. Like, it's not that collaborative. It's not having that much of an impact on our own personal lives, so probably not. Wealth, probably not. Probably not, I don't think. I could make a long-winded and stretched argument about how we'll have more time back from remembering passwords all the time to do something <laughs> else that will make me some money. But well, there you go. So maybe they can appeal to wealth. Probably the uh, the biggest one that sticks out to me when I read their website is they appeal to health. The wording on their website appeals to people's wealth by saying, by using LastPass, we're giving you peace of mind. And they actually say those words on their website. Mm, it's certainly the benefit that I perceive myself from LastPass as well. And definitely how I view them. They definitely help my health. I guess it helps your health because it's an improvement to your mental health, right? So you don't have that threat in the back of your mind all the time. It's one less thing to be anxious about. So that helps you really go and get back to doing the things that help drive the growth of your business as well. That's right. Very, very important. How about an example for the wealth market or desire? I think a good example of wealth is a company called Pipedrive. Some of our listeners might have heard of it. They might have even used it. It's a CRM that um, businesses use and is meant to help increase the number of deals that your companies land. They say it's a CRM that is built specifically for salespeople. So it's like a salesperson first CRM. And as we know, a lot of sales staff tend to be incentivized by bonuses. That's typically how sales staff are incentivized. Now, Pipedrive's messaging on their website is very clear. It says, Pipedrive helps you sell 27% more. That is very directly addressing the core desire of improving one's wealth. Your pain point as the potential customer might be, you know, I want to get a bigger bonus. There's so much manual work involved and CRMs can often take more time than they're worth. And then Pipedrive comes along, appeals to that pain point and says, well, you know what? Pipedrive is built for salespeople and removes that manual work. So you can focus on improving the number of deals that you close, Kevin, and then you can get that bonus and take your lovely fiance, Christine, on that holiday that you will so hate. <laughs> oh, George, I enjoy the holidays. <laughs> but yeah, mostly, mostly the downtime. <laughs> I think that is a really good example, actually. It does turn my mind to how wealth uh, really comes into play for a lot of products. Uh, one example that pops into my head as you were talking is uh, Robinhood, which is very um, yeah, very topical at the moment. Everyone's becoming an investor. And that really is the message. You know, They say, we are all investors in their campaign messaging. Other, other taglines that they use include, you don't need to become an investor, you were born one. So again, I can see how 
you know, that really ties in with that wealth play that they're going for. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen any of their campaign videos, Kev, but they feature you know, uh, like a mum and dad holding an arm and a baby and they've got their phone in their other hand and they're investing. And it just completely challenges the traditional idea of what we think investors to be. So uh, they're essentially selling wealth, right? They're saying to you, you don't have to look like the typical investors, but just by being part of Robin Hood, you too can be wealthy and enjoy your life with the way that you're currently living it. Mm, such a good point. All right. And we've reached the last of the three core markets or desires, relationships. Yeah, so we had health, we had wealth, and now we're on to relationships. This one's always a little bit harder, right? Like how are B2B products going to help people improve their relationships? I found one. I think Slack actually appeals to people's core desire to improve their relationships. Would you like to hear how? Yes, please. Well, I'm glad you said yes, because I was going to do it anyway. Um, (laughs) so if you go to Slack's website and if you look at their marketing messaging, they actually address this concern that people are increasingly having of the work-life balance that people are having when there's this blend between office hours, non-office hours, because a lot of people are working from home more. And Slack tries to address, I guess there's really two issues there, isn't there, Kev? There's one that you kind of feel a little bit isolated from your colleagues because you're not in that physical work environment as much. And there's the other issue where you just feel like you can never switch off because like your notifications are on, you might be working later at night and it's just very, very hard to switch off. Now, Slack appeals to that straight away with their messaging saying that Slack gives you the flexibility and allows you to take control of your notifications, right? It's saying like, we have this ability for you to just set your working hours and you won't get notified by Slack. The direct result from that is you get to switch off and you can spend more time with your family doing the things that you love. That's a direct impact on your relationships with those around you. It then addresses the second concern by saying that the app actually has features that are designed to foster stronger connections between people who work remotely. And then it promotes, you know, its ability to have different groups. It promotes its ability to have, I think there's like a voice group chat feature where everyone can log on and start talking to each other. That's another way of appealing to people's sense of belonging, right? So we're going to improve your relationships with your working colleagues if you use Slack. That makes a lot of sense. One more that I'd like to throw in, and it's an example that Russell Brunson uses in his book, and it's kind of a fun one. It's definitely a little bit outdated, but I don't know if our listeners remember the old Gillette razor ads. Do you know the ones that I'm talking about, Kevin? Yeah, I certainly do. Yeah. 
They're the ones where you have the beautifully structured male with a very chiseled jaw shaving his face and you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh, well, which one, which, which core desire is this appealing to? Like, it's not really health because they're not promoting the fact that it's not going to give you ingrown hairs, right? If they did that, maybe it would be health. Mm. It's not really wealth. I don't see how this is. It's not a price play. It's not going to make me wealthier. And then you get to like the final scene of the Gillette ad and they have like the gorgeous girl swooning and stroking the man's chiseled jaw. And then you go, oh, wow, okay, this is actually relationships. The implication is if you use Gillette, you're going to get the girls. They'll be all over you. So they're directly appealing to relationships there. Well, George, I can tell you I use Gillette and it doesn't really help. But I guess I guess the ad... <laughs> does its job. I am using Gillette. So there you go. Yeah. I'll have to ask uh, again, your fiance, Christine, um, what other reasons are keeping her from being all over you? (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners, there you go. That's the three core desires or core human markets, health, wealth, and relationships. It's important to apply one or a few of these to your business and see which one works for your messaging and your audience. But when you do go to market with it, keep in mind that you should probably be focused on just one because otherwise the message in the market can get a little muddied. Yeah, just try and focus on one core desire kind of per campaign is what we would say. It's a fun exercise, challenging yourself to see, can I apply each of these three desires in maybe a roundabout way, if you have to, to your business, use the most powerful one, and then use that as the basis for your campaign message. Okay, listeners, let's move on to concept two. Now that we know their desire, what are they thinking? Uh, George mentioned before that the way we can talk about this is moving them away from pain and towards pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, George? Yeah, sure. So to probably get into our dream customers' heads, we don't have to have a... You ever watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Kevin? A long time ago, George. Your your references are all a little bit uh, a bit dated, aren't they ever? <laughs> I was about to say Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in 4D. <laughs> Did you ever see that? I think there was a dream world. No, no. Uh, must I be think nice. I stopped watching after the second one. <laughs> no, not the fourth one. It was in 4D. It's like where you go to dream world or movie world and you put on the 3D glasses, but the 4D element is like when there's water on the screen, which might be like a sneeze, they spray. Oh, I definitely don't go down for those kind of things. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Come on, you know me better than that. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Why do they bring that up? I was going to say you don't need a honey, I shrunk the kids spray to get inside of your dream customers' heads. That's why we have these concepts to help you do it. So the second concept is, well, now we know their core desire. We know it's they're motivated either by an improvement to their health, wealth, or relationship. What are they thinking? Anytime they're making a decision, humans are trying to move either away from pain or towards pleasure. So what do I mean by that, Kev? I think it's probably something that's best explained through the use of examples again. Why don't we make up a hypothetical B2B business, Kev, and see how we can apply this second concept to it so we can explain what it is to our listeners. Sure, that sounds good. As former lawyers, I think the company that we should make up is a time management company. We're used to being whipped to the billable hour. So I think it's only appropriate that we become a time management software business. Yes, listeners, it's not fun on the other side of the fence either with billables. But that's a great example, George. Let's get into it. 
All right, cool. So with our time management software business, Kev, we're going to be selling this mostly to factory owners, okay, to help them manage the time efficiency of their staff on the ground. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. All right, and we're going to get into the head of, let's say, we're the decision maker. We've spoken about this before. Anytime that you're selling a product or a service to a company, there's going to be a decision maker and there's going to be the influencers, which are people who influence that decision maker, but aren't the ones who say the final yes. For the purposes of this exercise, we're pretending we're getting in the head of the decision maker themselves. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, cool. Well, let's do our first example of this factory manager trying to move away from pain, like what is going inside of their head. Something they might be thinking is, I don't have the energy to keep manually tracking how hard my staff are working. Now, that is appealing to his health as well because his energy levels are low, right? He's not feeling Mm. great. And he's trying to move away from pain. Pain there is the effort required to keep physically tracking how hard his staff is working. I don't know how he's doing at the moment, but he needs a more automated way. Now we can flip that and we can say, well, how can we move this same person, appeal to their core desire of health and move them towards pleasure instead? So instead of, I don't have the energy to keep manually tracking how hard my staff are working, what if instead we tried to get them to think, I want to automate some of my business so I can take care of myself better? Yeah, nice. That's a, two pretty clear messages about how on the health core market, you're moving away from the pain of manually tracking how hard your staff is working. And you're moving towards pleasure in the sense that you now have more time to take care of yourself. Yeah, that's right. And whether a person is thinking of being moving away from pain or towards pleasure, uh, it might just be if they're a glass half full or half empty kind of person, the ones moving towards pleasure might be the ones to see the opportunity to improve what they're doing. And if they don't, then that's your chance to show them that opportunity. So that's an example for moving away from pain, away from pain and towards pleasure for health. Let's do an example for wealth. So maybe our factory manager is thinking, you know what, I'm not taking home enough money from this business to live the life that I want to live. That would be him moving away from pain. And to flip that and move towards pleasure, he could be thinking, I want to make sure my workers are as efficient as possible and find bottlenecks that when resolved will help me make more money. Moving towards pleasure there in that second statement is a way that we can help this factory manager improve the wealth in his life. Yeah, wow. It just seems so easy once you lay it out with these three core uh, desires or markets uh, on how to sell any business really B2B. Yeah, now we've got the third one, Kev. Just to round it out, we'll do relationships too. So for this factory manager, appealing to his core desire of relationships, he might be thinking, I miss my wife and kids and I want to see them more. That's his That's his pain point. And now moving towards pleasure, the flip side of that might be, I want my company to be more organized and efficient so I can spend less time at work and more time at home with my family. So that then appeals to his core desire of improving relationships and moving him towards pleasure. Awesome, George. That's a great example to illustrate how powerful this simple idea of putting statements down for moving away from pain and towards pleasure for each of the core markets for your business can really help you clarify the selling points or the messaging that you can go to market next with. If you want to put this into action, the one thing that we would suggest you do is try and write down 10 statements imagining the customer moving away from pain and then 10 statements of them moving towards pleasure. Use this 
as the basis to craft your marketing message so you can sell the benefits and not the features of your business. Yeah, that's the key, Kev. Selling the benefits, not the features. And they're two really good exercises to go through for your business to give you that foundation. Awesome, George. Well, there you have it. Two concepts that really help get inside the heads of your dream customer so they listen to you. In summary, to effectively communicate the benefits of your product or service, you need to understand what they're thinking and feeling. Anytime they purchase, it's to improve their health, wealth, or relationships. Make sure to focus on just one of these when you go to market with a message. Yeah, and also don't forget that humans make decisions to either move away from pain or towards pleasure. We are a lot more emotional than we think, aren't we, George? We are. We are. Uh, Me more so than you. Um, You are a cold-blooded killer. Just simmering under the surface, George. (laughs) Don't let it fool you. (laughs) No, I know, Kevin. As I said, uh, me reading uh, Quiet by Susan Cain, as you told me to do, is making me realize that you have all these feelings, Kevin. They're just (laughs) under the surface. Oh, dear. See, I'm learning. Just like a duck, mate, paddling furiously under the water. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. So... Next week, Kev, we're going to show our listeners then how to find a well of these dream customers using a concept called the Dream 100. So we've done all the hard work, right? We've identified our dream customers. We're forming messaging. So when we speak to them, they're going to listen. Now we're going to show you next where to find a very, very deep well of these customers. Amazing. All right. You can find links, as always, to everything we discussed in the show notes. Thank you, Kevin, as always, for putting that together. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We'll chat to you next week. See you, team. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook, the easier way to champion your business online.